Marini's Media. Totally football show. And it's a big look forward to the weekend with Liverpool, Man United and so much more. West Ham, Everton. Will Carlo be cocking his eyebrow? Will David Moyes? And how would we know? Arsenal, Sheffield United. Historically a poor record for Blades against the Gunners going right back to the Light Brigade. But half a league on, will this be different? And every weekend is special when you're Mike Dean but why this one is especially so. All that and more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Ta-da! Hello, listener. We've got a Duncan Alexander for you. Hi. Today. Duncan, very much pumped for Mike Dean. Yes, as I have been throughout my life in many ways. <laughs> nice. Nice. Daniel Suri is also here. Good morning. Bringing with him a fresh take on this Jose Mourinho fellow, I believe. Is that right, Daniel? Why not? Yeah. Go on, then. And who's this seething after last night's events at Old Trafford? It's Lindsay Hooper. I'm just going to do loads of pointing, seeing as it's Mike Dean. Pointing. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. that's nice. Thematically... Yeah. yeah, on on uh, on topic. So uh, yeah, I did Old Trafford last uh, night, Lindsay. You know, because I did try Walsh. to d- deflect that. Then, mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, it wasn't the best performance by either side, but yeah, Manchester United went through, deserved in the end. Do you think? Yeah, I think so. One nil, one matter. Neto with the opening, what would have been the opening goal disallowed after that. You You've know. got to feel for him. He scored at Anfield and at Old Trafford, and had both of them overturned for VAR. Wow. Wow. Or for actually for, for the handball and the build-up. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, a lot of people pointing out that goal and the handball, but it, it was a pretty important handball. It did deflect the ball into his path. So I don't, you know, in the olden days, when that probably wouldn't have been seen and had been allowed, equal number of people would have been complaining that that goal had stood. So I don't think it's that bad, is it? If Just going to shut your VAR chat down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you're going to go down the, the route of discussion, which was if it was the defender, it would be OK. Yeah. But that, that means that the law needs addressing. Right. It isn't VAR's fault. Yeah. yeah. What else happened in those replays midweek, Daniel? Uh, Carlisle 3, Cardiff 4. That's yeah. the best game of the week. I saw Gary Lineker was tweeting about end replays because there are... Uh, a fly in the ointment of Premier League teams kind of misunderstanding the whole point of the FA Cup entirely. But also then people saying, yeah, it's just boring replays between rubbish EFL teams. It's like, well, there was a 4-3 tonight, which was a hell of a lot better than Wolves Man United. Mm. Kalal, who had been the lowest ranked team left in the tournament, Mm. exiting though... Cardiff will go on to play... Is it Coventry they play next? No, Coventry Birmingham in the St Andrews derby. Oh, wow. Because both teams... Obviously, Coventry playing there this season because of their decrepit owners. So Birmingham are going to have to be in the away end? Well, actually, I think they've agreed to split the crowd 50-50. I'm sure there'll be some dressing room banter going on. (laughs) Is this our dressing room? No, it's not. Just to counter you on replays, I'm not entirely convinced replays are necessarily a good thing. I mean... I see all the arguments, but most of the arguments boil down to that replays give lower league teams an opportunity to, you know, make more revenue yeah. from the FA Cup. Mm. Now, when they scrapped multiple replays, there was the similar sort of this is the end of the FA Cup, and that didn't happen. Mm. I think if you redistribute the money a bit more, well, it wasn't sense- a sudden end anyway. No, but if you read it. May have added to the gradual decline. The well, slow- that, yeah, that's yeah. I guess that's the the question. It isn't just but- money. There is also the notion that 
a lower team against a, a high-ranked team is m- more likely to be able to perform in a one-off scenario and therefore extra time and penalties gives them a better chance than... That was L- L- Gary Lineker's uh, argument. Well, he, said, he says get rid of them completely. And I said... Yeah, well, and he was saying that basically having a one-off game would be a better, give a bigger chance of an upset. Yeah, but I think the the idea with the money has to overshadow all of that because, uh-huh. as you say, Doug, if you redistribute it, fine, but that's not going to happen, Well, yeah, it? but Yeah, but I, what I find a little bit annoying is this kind of idea that the FA Cup is set in stone. You know, there was a two-legged FA Cup after the war. Um, Preston rotated their goalkeepers in 1888-89 between the league and the FA Cup. So it's not like there's been this... What's strange about that? Well, people will say, oh, look at these, these modern Premier League teams. No, no, but about them rotating their goalkeepers. Well, that was, pr- that was pretty unusual in the 19th century. Right, okay. But it's one of those examples of how, you know, it hasn't always been as people think it has been right, in the past. Right, right. It's a fair point, Duncan. Fair point. Cardiff, by the way, just to kind of finish that one off, will be taking on Reading, mm. who beat Blackpool 2-0 away. Coventry got through after their 3-0 win over Bristol Rovers. Newcastle breezed past Rochdale 4-1 among the goal scorers. Yeah, Joe Linton. Joe Ellington. Joe Ellington. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it feels slightly damning with faint praise to poor compliments on him after scoring against a, a, a pretty poor League One team right. but, uh, who helped Newcastle with all of their goals. But yeah, he needed a goal, put it that way. One of Newcastle goals came from a fairly grim error from Rochdale keeper. And, and he passed straight to Almiron. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Yeah. Um, and we saw a similar thing in the Spurs game as well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, I might be biased as someone who, who follows Wickham who definitely don't play a passing a game, but... You know, there are a lot of lower league teams who have clearly been influenced by Pep Guardiola, and that's good and admirable. But you know, sometimes their eyes are bigger than their belly. Belly, mm. their feet. Yeah, kind of in this case. Yeah, but yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, so yeah, that was um, that was the opening goal uh, for Spurs, gifted by borough keeper Thomas Mejias. Yeah, and that's an issue because they have just sold Darren Randolph back to West Ham mm. to cover for Lucas Fabianski's injury. So. They are now in the market, I suspect, for a new keeper. It's not a brilliant shop window for for Mayas. No. Okay. Also, Shrewsbury won against Bristol City and will face Liverpool. 89th minute, defender Aaron Pierre drilling it in from 25 yards out scenes. You could tell that the the sheer weight of the celebration, that that was a we're going to play Liverpool celebration. It was really nice. right. No Tranmere Watford, I'm afraid. That was postponed due to the evocatively named Storm Brendan. <laughs> no, no, not just Storm Brendan, the shoddy pitch. Oh, was it? Yeah. Yeah, it's like a sandpit, Yeah, it's isn't so it? bad. Is and it? Emma Hayes in the women's game had criticised it, hadn't she, some weeks ago, and then got quite a backlash quite a ba- for Yeah, people it. were like, well, if it's good enough for Tranmere, why is it not good enough for the women's game? It's yeah. like, well, maybe it's not good enough for Tranmere. Right. <laughs> maybe it's not good enough for anyone. Right. OK, well, the, uh, assuming they can sort that out, the game will be replayed in a week's time. If Watford make it through... They're going to end up playing four games in nine days. Madness. And that FA Cup game will be at home to Manchester United. So it's, yeah, their, their run is It's good madness, tough. though. Yeah, it you is You want to be madness. playing when you're playing well. Mm. It would have been pure madness around seven weeks ago. Right. And they are playing so very well now, though. Yeah. Mm. As we'll discuss, really. you know, presently, because after this, let's get on to the weekend. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. FA Cup third round replays tick Premier League hello big game is Liverpool Man United on Sunday but there are other delights too Lindsay 
There are. There's there's a lot of really good games this weekend. Um, you have to look down the bottom as well. Bournemouth playing Norwich. Yep. That's going to be a very important result. One of two relegation six-pointers. You've also got Brighton up against Aston Villa, mm. a, a game which could see the two teams swap places should score lines, you know, go in that direction. Also, Man City taking on Palace. West Ham with David Moyes facing his old team, Everton. And the game that controversially... I'd like to start with Arsenal, Sheffield United. Flaky gunners who may or may not have turned the corner under Arteta facing the Sheffield steel of Chris Wilder's blade. And no Aubameyang. Which Mm. means Lacazette's got to actually play football a bit. Um, He's actually had 16 shots on target this season, five goals. Compare that with Aguero, who's, who's had 18 shots on target and scored 13 goals. Arsenal have actually only won one of their last seven matches. At home, though, it was their last one, which was against Man United. So, better or not under Arteta, Daniel? Yeah, definitely not necessarily in terms of results, although there has been a slight improvement. But certainly, uh, the main criticism of Unai Emery is you couldn't really work out what they were even trying to do, never mind achieving. Uh, There is a new identity there. There is a new discipline there. Um, there is a goodwill there, which is important because that certainly wasn't there in Emery's last month. So, yeah, different feel, uh, but... A fair reminder that it's going to take a heck of a long time, I think. Sheffield United start the day four points ahead of Arsenal. They haven't won away at the Gunners for 48 and a half years since, in fact, August 1971, when the aptly named I'm Still Waiting by Diana Ross was number one. Arguably, they've not had many better chances than this one. So to hear how they stand going into this, let's hear from the Sheffield stars, James Shield. Sheffield United's record, we were just saying, away to Arsenal, not the best, but we feel that rarely have you had a better chance to change that. What do you think? No, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, they've they've obviously not won down in uh, down in, in North London since the since the early seventies. Mm. Uh, so that's something that they're uh, they're going to be looking to put right. It was actually before I was born. I'll uh, I'll just get that one in there. But no, you're you're absolutely right. I think this is uh, this is a really good opportunity not only for them to put that record uh, straight, uh, but also to sort of continue climbing the the Premier League table. And it's it's right. It really has been one of the uh, one of the stories of the of the season so far. I know I probably would say that, but uh, even if I didn't cover Sheffield United, I think as an old footballing romantic of a, of a certain vintage, uh, I think it's lovely to watch a club, you know, obviously come not only out of the championship last season, but come out of, out of league one, doing it the, uh, the old fashioned way, if you like. And, and by that, I mean, giving players an opportunity and not just uh, sort of constantly reaching for the checkbook and, uh, and, and signing big money numbers. Uh, I think it's, it's a really nice tale. Yeah, there's been a lot of people hastily educating themselves this season on the likes of John Lundstrom and particularly now John Fleck. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And do you know what? I, I've, I've actually been sort of talking with, with colleagues about that this uh, this week. But, you know, players like John Lundstrom and John Fleck, you look at how they're, how they're doing in the top flight now and uh, sort of how easily they've they've made that transition. Easy is perhaps the wrong word because obviously there's a, an awful lot of work gone in to, uh, to what they do and what the, what the club do as a whole behind the scenes. But, you know, it's been a, a relatively seamless transition and you, you do wonder why, you know, not so many years ago, only sort of two years ago in some cases, 
a lot of these players were sort of playing League One football and, you know, didn't have sort of teams clamouring to uh, to sign them or, or take them on and give them an opportunity. Sheffield United have obviously done that and they're, and they're reaping the rewards for it now. But I, I think it just does go to show sometimes, you know, we live in an era where there's sort of all this software and there's all these statistics to do with sort of scouts, the scouting systems and looking at what players do and tracking their careers. I think sometimes, you know, what what's happened here does go to show that sometimes it just comes down to a manager's hunch or a or a coach's hunch and just believing what they what their own eyes are telling them. Defenders who score, forwards who don't. Will uh, David McGoldrick ever get a goal? And does it matter? <laughs> well, I think for his own sanity, it probably matters because you've seen him looking pretty sort of frustrated when. When some what you've got to say are absolutely golden opportunities have have gone begging for him. There was there was one at Brighton and Hove Albion last uh, last month actually where he he rounded the goalkeeper. There's an open goal there, and I think everybody in the in the press box and in the in the away end was holding their breath, thinking this is finally the moment that that David McGoldrick scores. And of course, he, he managed to uh, he managed to find the post instead. I mean, obviously, we've spoken with Chris Wilder a great deal about this, and he's made the point that. You know, even if David McGoldrick doesn't score between now and the end of the season, he said he will always be in my team. Now, I think obviously Chris would would love David McGoldrick to score, and let's be honest, he, he he does need to get a goal. But what I will say is, I understand where the manager's coming from on that because Sheffield United do play better when when David McGoldrick's in the team, and he he does bring an awful lot more to the table rather than rather than goals. Uh, you know, he links the play up so well, he creates the space for others. And it's interesting, even when you speak to the players here off the record about, about David, you know, he, he's one that they all mention as being an absolutely sort of nightmare to play against in training, you know, and just sort of underline how much they, they actually enjoy having him out there on the on the pitch with them. This is a player who'd just been released by, by Ipswich Town when he when he came to Sheffield United. Uh, you know, didn't actually have a football club. And again, you you do wonder how somebody of his sort of talent, obviously perhaps not in the six-yard box, but his his talent further back up the pitch was was available on a on a free transfer. But again, just comes down to opportunity. Mm, brilliant stuff from, from Sheffield United. How long have you been covering the Blades, James? I think it's it's certainly over 15 years. I think it's about 17 or 18 years now. So for you, how extraordinary is it to be witnessing a season, a campaign like this one? It's, it is absolutely extraordinary. I mean, obviously they've they've been in the Premier League before in my in my time here. But I think what's different about this is a the speed that they've that they've made the the sort of the climb through the divisions, the speed that they've done that in. I mean, obviously they were they were a League One club when when Chris Wilder was appointed in 2016, and a League One club in a coma. The year they were promoted, that was actually their sixth season in the third tier. Uh, I think the one thing what makes this story perhaps not extraordinary, but so sort of lovely to to sort of cover and to have witnessed unfolding is the is sort of the characters that are involved at the club because, you know, I mean, I, I know a lot's been mentioned of it and it's not down to this because ultimately it's because they're, you know, they're good players and they're good coaches and good managers. But obviously you've got a, a manager at the football club who is not only a former player, but a, 
sort of a lifelong support of Sheffield United. You've got a captain at the at the football club who's, you know, who is a, a lifelong sort of Sheffield United supporter as well. And up until very recently, you had a, a co-owner who's a, a lifelong supporter. So there's there's something just sort of quite nice and homely about that, if you if you know what I mean. And I think that was one of the, or that has been one of the really nice things about the story of, you know, their, of their progression in recent years. James Shield of the Sheffield Star. Nice alliteration there, actually. Mm, yeah. yeah. Just on the uh, on the thing about Sheffield United doing a league double over Arsenal, oh, yeah. if it happens, first time since 46-47, the strange thing about that season, none of us will remember, but the winter of 47 was the hardest winter ever. <laughs> so there were loads of postponed games. Sheffield United's last game that season was the Arsenal match at Bramall Lane. It's one of only two games ever in English top flight history to be played in June because um, it dragged on that long. Obviously, it wouldn't happen now with modern football's excellent drainage facilities. Yeah. But. I yeah. don't know, climate change, we might get there. Ah, indeed. Well, right, a little bit of history there, Duncan, and that's not the only bit of history uh, that relates to this game because bigger than all of Arsenal's issues and Sheffield United's issues, this is a milestone match for one very special man. Here's a happy tune. A happy tune. you love to croon. You love to croon. They call it Dean's song. Hey, you don't seem to understand. Catchy as can be. I must agree. The melody. The melody. They call it Dean's song. Dean's song, because his name's Mike Dean. But not Mike Dean, the producer Mike Dean of some of Kanye's early albums. So you say, Duncan. Well, anyway, what's special about this weekend for this Mike Dean? 500 games, which for a player would be a, a landmark achievement. For a referee, is monumental. Right. Um, but he, I would say he kind of, he's one of the most iconic figures in the Premier League's history. And for one fifth of those, he's given red cards. Oh, I was gonna. That's great yeah. knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. 100, 102 red cards, 152 penalties he's awarded. Only Liverpool have ever got more penalties. 152 penalties in 500 games, yeah. or 499. The weird thing as well, 500 games, right? Yeah. That is 4.7 percent of all games in Premier League history, which I kept thinking about yesterday. Like almost five percent of games in the history of the Premier League have had Mike Dean in the middle, which yeah, it feels I, like it as well. You do one in ten on every single week. I know. I, I, is, yeah. is Mike Dean a fellow who brings some much-needed fun to the joyless world of refereeing, or a rampant egomaniac with cards? Uh, <laughs> Daniel, what's your view? Uh, somewhere in the middle, I think. Uh, I think he's a decent referee. I don't think it helps. I think it helps him to be like that. I don't think it helps his colleagues for him to be like that because he does bring an air of accidental slapstick to it, which I think then makes people think referees are incompetent because Mike Dean's an egomaniac. So the cliche about referees is don't be the centre of attention, don't be the story. Right. And it, it does feel like probably now kind of organically just as he walks on the pitch he becomes the story which I don't think is that helpful Are you happy or unhappy when you see that Mike Dean is officiating a game you're watching? I'm happy in in the sense that I go back to when I was younger and really enjoyed Mr Bean and it's quite fitting (laughs) that his name Mr Dean rhymes with Mr Bean Interesting um, I think it's the facial expressions. I mean, people talk about Phil Jones and his gurning and all those screen grabs, but you could make a montage, a beautiful one, out of Mike Dean's I, I facial Mike expressions. I think Mike Dean's more Jasper Carrot for me, although mm. I do see mm. where you're coming from. So many great memories. Uh, I'm not sure what your favourite is, listener. You've got uh, the, the, the popular time when he made Frank Lampard retake a penalty three times against West Ham. <laughs> Uh, the time he hid more recently, uh, Sergio Aguero's hat trick ball. Well, Mike Dean's hiding the ball there. A referee with a sense of fun. There you go. Well played, Mr. Dean. <laughs> Martin Tyler certainly enjoyed that. 
he's like an uncle where on Christmas morning you don't see him that often so on Christmas morning you're like oh he's great fun I love Mike he's great and by Christmas afternoon you're like just do you want to go to the pub mate just you go out and I'll play in my presents he, he refereed famously as well another Martin Tyler moment the Aguero goal against QPR and right. he peels away with the Manchester City fans and the moments that we've seen him secretly celebrating and there was a, a big question mark over whether he was a, a huge staunch Spurs fan because of the amount of decisions that have gone against Arsenal but have also gone for Spurs when he's been refereeing um, and there was that one where he had his hands in the air against Aston Villa right, and there's yeah. a, a video on YouTube of that and apparently I think his retort to that was that he was celebrating that he'd let the advantage right. flow and that it resulted in such a lovely goal. It's a goal. classic move the Mike Dean advantage given there's that famous equally on YouTube shot of him racing up fields arms pumping a bit like a condor yeah, that was clearing a particularly <laughs> yeah. tricky Andean He almost peak. took off yeah. um, and the goal scored but, by Jermaine McSporran past Bruce Grubbler which is a rare occurrence. Were you there? I was there. No way. Yeah but it was in because that was in 98. 98 and at the time, Mike right. Dean hadn't refereed in, in the Premier League. He right. was just a young ref making his name. And I, I would have thought, oh, who's this young ref who's inevitably going to give some bad decisions? I didn't realise just what I was witnessing. You the dawn of the greatness. But he kind of looked, the weird thing is, he looks the same then as he does yeah, now. Yeah, he hasn't he's, he's aged. aged quite well. Because Mike Dean is younger than Damon Albarn, which... What? You, yeah. He's younger than Damon Albarn, which if you go back 10 or 15 years, that seemed extraordinary. But now yes. you're kind of like, well, yeah, I can kind of see it. So hats off to Mike Dean's ageing process, if nothing else. No, I think it's that he's a little Benjamin Button. So he, he's got an older face before his time and then grows into the It's enough the about face. little buttons. Uh, <laughs> the camera's caught him going full, let's go to the disco, celebrating a Tranmere win. Tranmere goal, yeah. And he's standing almost like... Remember when Arsene Wenger got sent off against Manchester United back in the day and he stood on like a little shelf in the crowd. It looked like that. Even at that point, he is like, well, I'm going to get on telly here because I'm Mike Dean. The, the, weirdest, yeah. the weirdest clip of all is the one where he turns up as a caddy, yes. a golf caddy on the European Ladies yeah, Tour. He does that regularly, yeah. He does so that regularly. what's the background on that? He's just, I think he's friends with uh, the golfer and yeah, he caddies for that golfer on the Ladies European Tour when he can. Right. He looks like he enjoys life, which yeah. Yeah. is the thing. And I think that's the thing I like about it. And people him. talk about biases as well. And obviously, as a Tranmere fan, he's very rarely been given the chance to referee Liverpool and Everton. And that Liverpool Everton derby in the Premier League uh, last year was the first time he'd ever refereed a Premier League game at Anfield. Uh -huh. And Liverpool, three games is only ref for them in the Premier League. They've won all three. Everton, five games, and they've never won. So. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, Arsenal with Mike Dean, what, what's their record with him? Well, they used to have a really bad record and it was a kind of very early kind of social media kind of meme where Arsenal fans were, oh no, Mike Dean, yeah. we, we never win. But that's that's kind of switched around and he's refereed so many games with so many different teams that there's no real pattern, really. Okay. Well, uh, Whitney Hillier, by the way, is the uh, woman's golfer that uh, yes. he caddies for. Of course, he'll be dealing with two two other clubs uh, this time around. <laughs> Arsenal, Sheffield United, etc. and so on. All right, well, th th that's going to be really interesting. By the way, if you're crazy for more Mike Dean uh, reading, if, for example, you are Mike Dean yourself, uh, then uh, get along to totallyfootballshow.com where Nick Miller is about to drop a big, big in-depth profile on Mike Dean, the causes of Mike Dean, all that stuff. Is that going to include some of his worst decisions? I know we should also celebrate because after 500 games, he's he's clearly got a lot right. But does anyone have any standouts of when he's got decisions really wrong? I think that's his problem with his own creating in that he seems a comedy figure like you do not referee 500 games in the Premier League unless you are a very very good referee but he's never I don't think he's ever got the World Cup gigs or that sort of thing has he 
he's always been a kind of which is a shame and in other news referee mm. he's always been the kind of the domestic icon whereas your howard webbs and your and your atkinson yeah. will get the kind of international fame and recognition mm. so he's very much a kind of a band that was big in the uk but never made it I think elsewhere we can live safe in the knowledge that, that does bother him as well yeah, <laughs> he's never I'd love to there. see him go internationally, even as a guest referee in, say, Chile or Soccer Colombia. Aid. Well, do you remember Something when like people used to say, "Oh, we need to get Pierluigi Colina across to referee right. Premier League games," but that was purely because of his media profile, and mm. fans in Italy didn't rate him at all, as far as I understand. Well, there was, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's because we like were all brought up on the Demon Headmaster, so right. we wanted those starry eyes. Um, the, we, we'll get into that Kalina thing, not today, but in a future Golazzo, I think. By the way, if you are a fan of our uh, retro stylings on uh, the, the, the golden age of culture, then uh, there's, a, there's a new one of those out. Uh, this week, all about Gigi Reaver. Uh, let's get back to the Premier League weekend anyway, after this. Join me, Join me. on my journey through time. Where shall we go, sir? Ancient Egypt, Caesar's Rome. No, my kitchen about an hour ago. Told the wife her new hairstyle was a brave choice, didn't I? Oh, it's easy to mess things up these days. That's why Paddy Power do money-back specials, so not all mistakes cost you as much. This Sunday, it's money back as a free bet on all markets if Salah scores against Man United. Paddy Power, home of the money back special. On this match only, max free bet £10, pre match singles only, online exclusive, no shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker, and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Early game Saturday, Watford Spurs. Watford's clash with Tramia, we mentioned, postponed. Uh, Spurs did play against Middlesbrough in their FA Cup replay. Uh, a 2 1 win, any better? from Spurs they started well purely because Middlesbrough helped them and then they, they looked a little bit ragged again second half uh, they haven't impressed over those two games at all uh, I think this is game of the weekend to watch even Liverpool Man United because I think that'll be quite regulation I think this is the game of the weekend with, with Tottenham coming off about the poor run Watford the form non-Liverpool team in the country well form non-Liverpool and, and Man City because only those two teams the top two in the Premier League have won more points since Nigel Pearson took over mm. at Vicarage Road. Yeah, and that's the kind of, although in very different circumstances, the the response to to the Mourinho stuff, because the whole thing about Mourinho is, it, well, it's going to take time. We can't expect the normal lift-off of form. Nigel Pearson has done that from a, from a horrible situation. You know, he's changed the formation. He's moved players everywhere. Like The, the change in Decore was who was playing in a midfield two. He's now the advanced of three midfielders. He was scored last week. Mm. He's put Delefeo out wide. He's playing Saar every week. He's got Dini in a one rather than a two, which Flores was trying to do. So, yeah, they look like a team completely reinvented. Well, their, uh, their conversion rate's gone up from 4.8%, yeah. which was terrible, and with relegation, essentially, mm. to 15.5%. Well, he, talked, he, he talked about just giving the players some belief and some confidence. And, mm. you know, it's completely immeasurable, but that sort of measure. But... You see it in things like the finishing. If the strikers are confident, if the if the, the wingers are confident, if they're they're creating better chances, yeah, they just look reinvented. This also coincides with Troy Deeney coming back to full fitness because mm. that had only happened. He'd only just come back into the team before Nigel Pearson arrived. And I don't want to take anything away from what Nigel Pearson's bought. I think Deeney himself has been very yeah. uh, complimentary about about his time. But I do think that without Deeney, Watford are a different side, and he's got to take some of the credit yeah. as well. The one player I do like uh, shout out for is Nathaniel Chalabar, who's now, because of this switch in formation, has come into midfield alongside Kapue. And yeah, he 
he's had such rotten luck with injuries. He obviously was part of that Chelsea loan farm. You know, ended up at Napoli for a while, and he was at you know finally got the permanent move to Watford, and then got another serious injury. So kind of good on him because he's one of those who Gareth Southgate. Like Fabian Delph, he absolutely loves and would give any chance to get back into that England squad, I think. Mm. One interesting thing about this game is the fact is it is two clubs who have decided to make the switch to a new manager mid-season. And while Watford have seen an incredible bounce under their new man, what can we say about Spurs under Mourinho? Well, I mean, of those two managers, one of them has laid the foundations of a Premier League title win more recently than the other. Right. And that man isn't Jose Mourinho, probably. I see. Jose Mourinho at Spurs is so fascinating, writes Daniel Story, because for the first time he didn't get to cherry-pick his ideal club in his perfect situation. He is having to compromise. Yeah, well, I mean, purely the fact that he'd never been appointed, since his first job, he'd never been appointed mid-season before. He's always been appointed either the last day of May or the first two days of June and had a full summer to go at it. So the problems we're seeing, you know, loads of different midfield combinations, different switches in formation, uh, a kind of attack that's been left to kind of work it out by itself. They're the things he normally tries to sort out in pre-season and is having to do that on the job. When he was appointed, they were 11 points off the top four and everyone was like, this has got awful 10 games later they're now nine points off the top four so it's not you know it's not as if he's boosted or jolted them in the right direction quickly I mean there was a bit of backlash with some of the reaction to last weekend because you know saying that they were playing Liverpool and they did okay in the second half and Mm. you know actually gave Liverpool a few problems but I think don't judge them on that game judge them on the other ones and there wasn't a massive improvement against Middlesbrough and some of the other Premier League games haven't been that impressive I mean I know a few Spurs fans are saying, look, just this season's essentially a bit of a write-off. And if, if they can do well in the Champions League and or FA Cup, then that's OK. But um, the league does look... They're just too inconsistent to kind of make up that gap to the top four. Well, at the moment, they're winning the transfer window, aren't they? Jadson Fernandez, <laughs> The only player. The only <laughs> significant player. <laughs> yeah, he's a funny one in that, without being too conspiracy theory, he is a, a George Mendes client. Mourinho is a George Mendes client. There is a, 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 a an insinuation that he's a kind of favour to Mendes so that they get first dibs on other players because uh, he's only he only started three games, league games for Benfica in 2019 behind Adil Tarapt in the pecking order. Uh, he's he's not 18. He's 21 years old. Uh, there's an option to buy him for 55 million after 18 months, which sounds you know, pie in the sky stuff, really. Uh, and I don't think we'll see that much of him this season. I really don't. Also facing a tricky away fixture, by the way, Chelsea, who are at Newcastle. Newcastle buoyed by that massive win midweek against Rochdale. I want to make a case for why this is a really important match for Chelsea, because it's the final one before they face pretty much every rival they've got for the top four for a Champions League place finish. Afterwards, they go on to face Arsenal, they go away to Leicester, they've got Manchester United and Spurs. So this is a really important match, I think, for Frank Lampard um, to get right. And I, I think they have to come away with three points. What are their chances of doing that, do you think? Uh, I, well, they, they've had a bit of a bogey team, Newcastle. They've won the last few, I think, or four of the last Chelsea five. Chelsea won the, seven of their last nine against Newcastle. Well, they have also lost five of 15, so it, you know, it depends how you flip the numbers, really. I guess. Um, 
But no, they they are playing a Newcastle team who have nothing to lose because they have a horrific Except injury. more players. Oh yeah, exactly, a horrific injury record. I thought it was funny, Steve Bruce saying, like, "It's mad. I I can't believe it. We need to investigate where these injuries come from." And there's someone tweeted that he pretty much said exactly the same quote: Aston Villa and Sheffield Wednesday yeah, and Hull. Wigan and Hull and Sunderland. So what are you suggesting? Then? Well, there, there is an accusation from Newcastle fans who some of them are slightly biased against Steve Bruce that he basically picks players like. Sam Maximan when they are half fit and makes injuries worse, which is exactly what happened to Marcus Rashford this midweek as well. Right. Um, the Christmas schedule didn't allow him to change, so he just picked half fit players basically. Okay. This game's a rare clash of two published fiction authors, which is quite good. <laughs> yeah. Um, some. Wait some, a second. What was Frank Lampard's book? Oh, he children's magic, books. Magic. Yeah. Magic. Frank's No. Yeah. How many other managers are there out there who are published authors? Fiction authors? Not many in the fiction world. So this is... There's some debate about Steve Bruce, it should be said, in that the rumour is that he was... Yeah. He lent his name to it and someone else wrote them, but... Yeah, uh, Frankie's Magic Football was the Frank Lampard There you go, book. I've got a few of them. Magic Football? Mm. Copies of the book? Copies of the book. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. St- yeah, Slightly as you different. say, Steve Bruce in broad and a kind of... Uh, Francis Bacon and Very, yes. Shakespeare style. Very nice. uh, no, I, well, I think there's enough stuff in there. You think Shakespeare definitely wrote them? No, I don't think that <laughs> at all. But I think there's enough there's enough references in the uh, in the Bruce oeuvre to suggest that he was the author. Definitely. Right, I'd like to think so. So uh, don't go disabusing me of that. But Chelsea, yeah, I mean inconsistent in their form. Newcastle on a bit of a bounce. Tough place to go. At least that's. Your kind of muscle memory suggests that. Yeah, and they've been better against better opposition this season. You know, they beat Manchester United mm-hmm. at home, they beat Tottenham away. They will consider it as a let's have a go game. By the way, if you're a Chelsea fan and would like to reminisce about George Weah's time at Stamford Bridge, then Nick Miller's got your back. He's done a piece on that as well. That's at thetotallyfootballshow.com because it's 20 years ago that the Ballon d'Or winner mm. joined the Blues. Also gathering pace, uh, if we're talking transfer windows still being open, is Chelsea going in for Ben Chilwell because something has developed as well whereby Brendan Rodgers has made an inquiry about Luke Shaw Hmm? at Manchester United. So you think, well, if if that turn of events happens, it might be more of a summer transfer because they they might say we want to keep hold of him for this season now right. that Leicester are third. Who would you rather have, Ben Chilwell or Luke Shaw? Chilwell. Yeah, he, yeah, although his form, I've seen Leicester's last two games and... By all accounts, the game before that as well, he his form's dropped off a cliff. Uh, he looks... Rodgers has been switching between a back four and a back three with him at wing back, which maybe isn't helping him as much. But yeah, he just looks... He's got that Ashley Young disease where he gets the ball and then rather than attacking his man, just turns back and passes mm. it back, which is not what you want from a wing back. Maybe his head a, has been turned by yeah, the speculation. Like yeah, interest. a disease that Inter Milan are very keen on. By the <laughs> yeah. way, Olivier Giroud set mm. to go this weekend. Right. So that looks well, like Ashley Young is very much on the back burner now. Yes, but what is it with Inter Milan and wanting older Premier League stars? I mean, to be fair, people in Italy are probably saying the same thing about Premier League clubs in the late 90s. You know. <laughs> George Weyer. <laughs> <laughs> Andres Silenzi. <laughs> All right, don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, that's anyway Newcastle's clash with Chelsea. Up next, those relegation battles. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. As you say, Lindsay, huge games, huge. Uh, Bottom two, Norwich and Bournemouth facing each other, while the team just above them, Aston Villa, visit Brighton, knowing a win could see them swap places with the Seagulls. Wow. Norwich-Bournemouth is Saturday at three o'clock. 
Nine Premier League games without a win for Norwich. Nine defeats in 11 for Bournemouth. This should be a sizzler. It's massive for Eddie Howe, I would say, um, because it really is looking a bit bleak for Bournemouth. And if they lose this game, they can decide... I mean, they could get rid of him, which would be massive, given it's Eddie Howe and Bournemouth. He went to Burnley and he came back, as we've discussed in that song. But they need to... I mean, Callum Wilson, right, has gone 1,021 minutes of play without a shot on target. You could watch the last two series of Game of Thrones in that time and still have 71 minutes to prepare food and and go to the (laughs) toilet. Probably not at the same time. Um, I wouldn't suggest it. But, I mean, that is a long time, isn't it? It is a long time. If you're fans of uh, last time statistics... Then the last time Bournemouth won at Carrow Road, they were actually Bournemouth and Boscombe Athletic. Wow. That was back in October 1959. I've, I've spent some time at the club at Bournemouth this week. I, um, I sat down and spoke to Jefferson Lerma oh, via yeah. a translator, so I can't say that it's wholly accurate what I'm about to say. But in terms of uh, Eddie Howe being under pressure, I did ask him about that, and he said it doesn't need to signal the end, which I thought was an interesting response to that. Mm. Although that was via the translator. It was via the you translator. You might have said something like, saying. can't wait for the guy to go. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I just like getting yellow cards. And the translator was like, whoa, I'm not going there. And of course they're saying all the right things, that right. there's the belief, there's there's a lot of hard work going on behind the scenes. He thinks they've got the quality and also the Premier League experience, which could actually come into play uh, to get out of the situation. But there's no denying that if Bournemouth lose this one, then they lose ground on their rivals around them. So West Ham, Villa, if Villa were to win mm. uh, away at Brighton, uh, whereas if they win and other results go differently, then right. suddenly they could leapfrog both of them. Uh, so it's it's just right now it has to has to be a win. Yeah, has to be a win. Jefferson Lerma is the player who's picked up. I'm sure you touched on this in your chat with him. The most Premier League bookings since the start of last season. What did he have to say about that? I didn't ask him about his <laughs> fouling. Did you not? No. There are times in matches where maybe after 60, 65 minutes, it looks like he realises he hasn't got one yet and thinks, <laughs> right, right, OK, let's do something now. This one's for the fam. <laughs> All right. But you mentioned if Villa were to win away at Brighton. They have actually already done that this season in the Carabao Cup. It was a 3-1 win. They also beat Brighton back at Villa Park mm. uh, this season in, in the league. So, They yeah. just don't have a striker, which is the problem. Wesley's injury is entirely unfortunate, but they clearly don't rate Jonathan Codger anymore in the in the League Cup game at, at Leicester. They play Jack Grealish as a false nine. They play Trezeguet as a false nine. They, they need something up front. There's talk of Christian Benteke coming back, which would make huge sense. But there's just a sense now, whereas at the start of the season, Aston Villa fans we were all like, took a beat with that. Sentence. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was just thinking of uh, Christian Benteke's goal-scoring record recently. But just to be a presence, because right. at the moment, everything has to go through Jack Grealish. And you can see signs that he is getting frustrated with that, having to carry the team. And, you know, against Manchester City last week, it was embarrassing. He was the only man demanding the ball, beating a player, and then mm. looking frustrated as a teammate lost it. They might uh, might have Pepe Reina who they have uh, picked up in the mm. January transfer window, making his debut in the... But it's the good. I mean, Pepe Reina is one of my favourite Premier League players, I think. He's just, he was a, he was a good character. Hmm. And um, it's good to see him back if he, if he plays. So. Right. It could be busy there. Although Brighton haven't been troubling the net much themselves of late. Just one win in seven. Neil Mope, who's their top scorer, hasn't actually registered on the score sheet in six games mm. now in all competitions. And Dan Byrne has got a serious shoulder injury. He's out for two months. Who's played, I think, played every minute of the weirdest left-back in the Premier League. The world's tallest left-back, which sounds like Frank Lampard's next book. To be fair. He, is, he is a sight to behold, isn't <laughs> yeah. he, up close? So, yeah, they'll be playing... How, how tall is he? Six foot six, oh. I think. Okay. Um, it's in that you, position, though. Yeah. You see him in that position up close. 
Why is that, Lindsay? Why is it the fullbacks are usually shorter? I always thought that that was a sort of position where a lower centre of gravity is advantageous, mm. getting forward, getting back. There's a lot of changes Scampering. of direction. Yeah, Because yeah. a big man up top, that yeah, and the, or your big centre halves, that's well, where you generally, generally expect height. Long balls are generally, I suppose, aimed at a, a striker's head and therefore centre-backs mm. would be taller and need to be stronger. And yeah, full-backs would have been, you know, maybe 60, 70 years ago, there would have been no difference. But now they are seen as the players needing the most energy on the pitch, which isn't necessarily linked to a... You know, but I think you have less frame. energy when you're tall then. Just short people have well, more I'm energy. I've got tall, bags of it. And yeah. I used to play uh, right back or did right midfield. Yeah, but then I was shorter when I did that. So I kind of <laughs> counted my but own relative point to the other And you're players, not six perhaps. foot six. Well, I was six foot three. Are you? Yeah. So you don't feel like six a six foot, foot three. three. Yeah, a lot of people don't. Yeah. Little people. You carry it lightly. Um, carry lots, it lightly, yeah. Lots of people. Everyone everyone <laughs> used to marvel, didn't they, at Peter Crouch's touch for a big man. Well. Um, and yeah. I actually say that that was the first thing I was watching close was Dan Burns' feet and right. his touch with the He's ball. He's pretty, really yeah. good. got really good feet. Uh, th- these two teams playing nice football. Yeah. yeah, this is the thing with Brighton is that they're actually, I've really enjoyed watching Brighton this year. I think they've, you know, they're playing in a very progressive way. Matt Ryan has been probably one of the most underrated players in the Premier League this season. And by the way, did you see how much money he's raised for mm. oh, yeah. the, the, the animals right. in It's uh, good Australia. to see a statistic charity mega combo. I liked that. So, right. But even so, they still look like they're in a bit of trouble. So yeah. I'm, I hope for justice sake that they can get out of it well uh, defeat might put them into the bottom three depends what other games do games like uh, Burnley's clash with Leicester Burnley like Brighton are potentially one defeat from the bottom three they've lost their last four in a row they've only scored four goals in their last nine Premier League matches and Leicester you'd imagine will be a bit fired up for this one they need to be because they've been pretty wretched and well not wretched but they've been very sluggish in the last few matches Leicester yeah it feels like Brendan Rodgers is and his players have almost got a sense of where they are, having coasted and lived the dream for a while. They've just slowed down. Some of the passing is a bit sluggish. Some of the movement is not quite what they want. James Madison's chance creation has kind of dropped right off. Vardy's not been as prolific. And, you know, they are still 11 points ahead. Their start of the season gave him a huge cushion, but he will be keen to address that little run. Yeah, we saw Storm Brendan blow itself out this week and it feels like very much <laughs> etc. But yeah, I think also Vardy missing the, that game for the birth of his child, which is a fairly valid reason, but he's not really hit the ground running since no. then. No. Rogers obviously has been switching, as you said earlier, Daniel, between a back three and back four, which I think looks more than anything like it's just confused Leicester and obviously they're missing Ndidi massively I think yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting conversation as well about English managers because we talked about Eddie Howe being under scrutiny this is also Sean Dyche um, going through a really bad spell with Burnley mm. and he seems to have gone a little unnoticed and I wonder if we're just a bit susceptible as media to talking about the teams that are in the relegation zone or just about on the cusps of it because I think Graham Potter at Brighton and Sean Dyche have got off quite lightly this season really in terms of every Everyone was waxing lyrical about Potter and, and the, the style, which I, I, I do admire, but you have to look at the results on the on the board. They could be dragged into it, as could Burnley. And I, I think I said a couple of weeks ago, either here or on the offside rule, that Burnley worry me for relegation. Mm. It's just been a slow freefall. Obviously, the thing with Burnley, a couple of seasons ago, they you know finished in the top eight. None of the numbers back that up, really. No one could really work out how they allowed the opposition so many shots, but still, you mm. know, were pretty good and yeah it, it looks like all those issues are coming home to roost now and right. yeah they are in a bit of trouble alright let's add West Ham into that mix they're only a point above the bottom three and they're taking on an Everton team 
who've won three of their four games in the Premier League under Carlo Ancelotti. And won them 1-0, the two home games, which is um, big for Everton because I think there was an idea that Everton fans demand this sexy footballer, this, you know, in inverted commas, Everton way. I don't think that's true at all. What they wanted to avoid was another firefighter, another six-month contract. And their aim with Ancelotti, I think, was to get the best of both worlds, was to get a a long-term manager, but also one that would tighten them up very quickly. And yeah, as I say, they've won both their home games 1-0, they lost 2-1 at Manchester City, which is no great disgrace. But this is a massive game for... In terms of PR for both clubs, mm, this is absolutely right. huge, I think. And also for points in the table for West Ham, David Moyes' record against Everton, not great. He's lost five of his six Premier League meetings against... Uh, but, the but he has Tottenham. got an excellent record against Ancelotti. He's never lost against him in the mm, Premier League. That's true. Um, so, I mean, this this fixture was amazing a few seasons ago when Allardyce was managing Everton and Moyes was managing West Ham and it really was like face-off. You were like, what, what is going on here? Um, you'd you'd argue as well yes. in terms of quality in the team, mm. which manager can get the best out of? And for David Moyes, it has to be Felipe Anderson, who's a quality player but just gone missing this season. Um, Lanzini, what can he get out of him? Mm. And then on the flip side of that for Everton, you've started to see Ancelotti getting more out of Richarlison and Sigurdsson. And, and Bernard. Yeah. Mm. Bernard. Cavaloon's the one, I think. You know, West Ham have really struggled defending set pieces this season. Mm. Really struggled... Well, just defensive organisation, really. They've dropped Issa Diop but for the last few weeks. They've been playing Balbuena and um, Ogbonna. Diop's great in the air, so I think Calvert-Lewin's the interesting okay. match-up, maybe. In the meantime, a lot of concern this week about Everton's finances. What, what, was, mm, what so, was the issue there? Well, they've announced that they will raise £30 million by giving... Um, Usmanov. Yeah, effectively giving Usmanov first dibs on naming rights. So he's paid stadium. 30 million not for the naming rights, but for having first dibs on Yeah, them. which. Right. Uh, We've all done it, to be fair. <laughs> Several other clubs have pointed out is, um, yeah, they might not be completely by the book and they would like to see just an investigation into <laughs> oh, whether in that's. In terms of financial fair play. Well, yeah, exactly right. Because whether that's acceptable. Simultaneously, they announced record losses of almost 112 million. Yeah. Now, I mean, if I read that, I think, oh, your clubs do that. But are they heading towards a bit of a problem or is this all rectifiable i think they're they're in trouble they would be in huge trouble if they went down the the broadcasting revenues in the premier league are such that by staying up i I suspect they've committed a lot of money to the new stadium already though that project but this is before that's even yeah it's before it's been built yeah Mm. but they have spent you know they they gave marco silva 100 million in both of his summers right so it's not a huge surprise if you finish 12th 13th in the premier league having spent 100 million a summer it's not great, mm. is it? Mm. All right. Uh, well, after this, we'll be touching on the remaining games, the ones we haven't uh, covered yet. To Man City, Crystal Palace, Saints, Wolves, and yes, the biggie at Anfield. So, Man City taking on Crystal Palace. Ooh, last season, Palace winning this fixture 3-2, and Andros Townsend did this. Winning the second ball, and Townsend! lead at Manchester City but not just that they do it with one of the goals of the season for anyone not in front of that YouTube clip Daniel what, what was that noise it was a, an Andros Townsend scissor volley that I'll describe as Mark Hughes on heat nice. Mark Hughes back in the not Mark Hughes is a player I should say rather than manager very <laughs> different beasts mm. again just taking a beat with that uh, City though have a terrific record uh, generally speaking against Palace and they're also doing 
They're on a bit of a run at the moment. Four out of four in all comps since the turn of the year. They've scored 15 goals in those four games. Riyad Mahrez is looking particularly deadly. Yeah, you feel now that the, the title is essentially gone and they're kind of free to just experiment in the league, you, you kind of think they're going to go a bit crazy for the rest of the season. You could almost see them, you know, they won 6-1 last weekend. I can see them winning 6-1 again of a fair few times before May. So. Wow. Could this weekend, do you think? I don't think six. I think they'll win maybe 3-1. Okay. I was going to say, Amaris, I think I'm right in saying goals and assists per minute played this season in the Premier League. I think he's second only to Sergio Aguero. So he's kind of gone under the radar as he got a bit of criticism last season having joined, but he's actually been absolutely brilliant this season, I think. Mm. Okay. Palace's last three Premier League fixtures have all ended 1-1, but now they have Cenk Tosun. <laughs> Cenk Tosun. Cenk the hairline Tosun. Do you think he'll play at the Etihad? Will they start him? Uh, I suspect he'll start on the bench as he did last weekend. Okay. Uh, it, for strikers like that, I think it's probably nice to give them their first start in a gentlish home game. Mm. I mean, it ties back into what we were saying about Everton a minute ago. You know, he's on big wages and just getting rid of him on loan for a few months is kind of helpful to Everton. Okay. Saints, meanwhile, who have won five of their last six in all competitions are taking on Wolves. Lindsay, how concerned are you about this? Very. I'm very concerned. I think Wolves are tired. Um, Was it 38th match of the season, midweek? And the thing is that there's very little rotation. Um, And not only that, we've lost players. So Vallejo's gone back to Real Madrid. Catrone's gone to Fiorentina. And we haven't brought anyone in in this window yet. And if you look at the squad size, and Jota being injured, if anything happens to Jimenez... We we really are going to Steve Bull, isn't it? Next, yeah, <laughs> call on Steve Bull to uh, come why, in. But you are the club who basically run by an agent. So why have you got such a short squad? I don't really understand why the squad list is so short. I think it's more from Nuno's preference. He uh-huh. likes to have a regular starting eleven and then just dip in and out. It isn't really his style to have a really long squad ever. So I didn't expect it to be the case that we we would have lots of depth but I think when you're playing in Europe as well we're still in the Mm. Europa League um, it's really starting to tell I mean Connor Cody must be a machine he's not had a minute off Machine Cody If I I was Nuno (laughs) If I was Nuno I'd be furious I really would Like he looks at the bench last weekend they're playing Newcastle at home and they need a goal and he's got a goalkeeper four defenders a central midfielder in Morgan Gibbs-White who is extremely inexperienced and isn't really you know he's not a goal threat necessarily and then Benny Ashley Seal who has never played a senior game for Wolves yeah. and that's it that's his only option and I, I was I, at the Newcastle match um, I also watched the, the FA Cup game against United I, I watched the first round of that as well um, and all of those performances there wasn't the zip there wasn't the the pace there wasn't the flow of the ball um, I think players like Moutinho as well who's a little bit older who's a fantastic player for us but he's looking tired I think his, his deliveries for free kicks corners haven't been quite as good I mean they've been brilliant overall but just in recent games and I think it's just that that last bit of of edge to the team that's now lacking um, and I think it's really concerning going up against a team like Southampton who are in form This wasn't a surprise though like this was always Wolves' aim was to get through the Europa League group stage and doing that meant you were probably going to play 60 matches in the season so to have basically 13 fit first team players which they do at the moment is and, and to have sold Cavallero and Catrone and let Vallejo go as you say it's a really really odd one yeah in the replay in midweek it looked like they spent the first half trying to conserve energy like we've got 20 minutes of, of full gas to go with and then right at the end of the game was it Vinagre that did his yeah. hamstring just chasing back on a 
on a one-on-one that United had and then wasted. So can't afford any injuries. The only shining light is that Morgan Gibbs-White came back in for that match, back from injury. He's had a, quite a serious back problem and looked really bright. So Nuno's going to be looking to the Fosens, I think, over the next week, two weeks, to say, how are you going to help here? Um, and then you've got Danny Ings to contend with as yeah. well. Ings going to get worse, though. Oh, for goodness <laughs> sake, Duncan. Well, That's enough of that. I'm going to move on <laughs> to Sunday at Anfield, where Liverpool take on Man United. Man United, the last team to take points off Jurgen Klopp's teams. Wow. I take your point about Watford Spurs, but this is huge, yeah. Daniel. Yeah, no, it, it, well, it's huge for both clubs. I don't think it's necessarily as huge for the Premier League, because I think everything's pretty much done and dusted with Liverpool. But yeah, it's huge for both clubs, of course. What I think was really interesting is that uh, Solskjaer brought on Marcus Rashford on Wednesday night yeah. when he said he wasn't fully fit, but he also said, I need to win the FA Cup game. Rashford then picks up a knock and is probably going to be out of this weekend or suffered a setback, certainly. But it just shows quite how much Solskjaer well, you really say that, but Paul Scholes said he just if he put some ice on it, he'll be all right for Sunday. Dr. Scholes, mm. MD. Um, yeah, I... That, to me, is a reflection that Solskjaer realises with the Carabao Cup looking gone, I really need to win something this season to keep my job. I thought it was really interesting. Normally, you would never had someone like Rashford wrist in an FA Cup game replay when you had Liverpool away on the weekend. You'd never do that. So I think that's a reflection that he understands his team quite a long way behind Liverpool. Right. How big an impact in terms of goal scoring does Rashford's absence represent? Well, he scored more goals than, than any Liverpool player this season. But as we know, the game is not about individuals. It's right, about but they are team. playing Liverpool this weekend. So. They are, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. But I think this, I mean, Daniel kind of mentioned it there. I mean, I think anyone who watches a lot of the Premier League struggles to get super excited about Liverpool v Man United because inevitably it turns out to be a bit of a damp squib. Now, obviously, the reverse fixture early in the season is the only time Liverpool have dropped points. Right. I saw one Liverpool fan say the nightmare this season would be to end with a record of 137 drawn one because United fans would never let them forget it, which is right. <laughs> yeah, possibly well, they, they, take it. You know, they almost didn't even draw that game. So what are the odds of uh, Oli, whose team have performed better in the, big, well, in the big games? They beat Man City. They have, and also this fixture is very... In the 80s, when mm. Liverpool were peerless and United struggled generally... United only lost once at Anfield in that whole decade. And then when United were good in the 90s, Liverpool regularly beat them at Anfield. So t- generally what happens in this fixture is the team, one of these teams is dominating English football and the other team tends to really raise their game for this match. So I could see United at least getting a draw in this game. I'm somehow. really impressed by Williams. Okay. Not the fantastic. only one actually, Lindsay. Because uh, did you see Gary Neville saying, I like Brandon Williams? Did you see this? No. Gary says, I like Brandon Williams. What I like about him specifically <laughs> is the, that he has that look in his eye of someone who would eat his opponent's nose to win the match. <laughs> Keep no, going, kid! That. Exclamation mark says Gary. Oh, he can play football too, which is a bonus. Thumbs up emoji. Uh, yeah, eat a nose off. Well, yeah. Luis Suarez came close, to be fair. <laughs> right. but, but sorry, Lindsay, what's your... I, I just really have admired him for the last few matches. And I think that he's going to have an interesting battle. So he's going to come up against the best in the league now. Right. Um, and it will be a good test for him. I mean, he kept Wolves very quiet. Mm. And he kept Adama Traore really quiet. Mm. Um, and that's a, that's a true test this season. So I, I think he'll be good. What they need to do is probably do what Wolves do in their matches, which is sit back and wait for those counter-attacking opportunities. Right, which is what United. Spurs did against Liverpool, and everyone hammered Mourinho for it. But well, uh, I, yeah, I mean, but it uh, almost worked. Yeah, well, it, that seems to have been one of the most divisive matches of the season in terms of 
people watching it. I, I mean, I was there and I thought it was pretty embarrassing first half for Spurs. It wasn't It wasn't they were sitting back and trying to play on the counter. It's mm. that they were playing a training ground attack versus defence match right. uh, against a team who are better at attacking than they are defending and right. eventually scored. Which is, a, which is a big difference. Yeah, and yeah. if Liverpool had added to that lead, you know, they didn't create very many clear-cut chances, but that was because they let little half chances slip, I think. Right. Liverpool could have been three or four up at half-time. Um I think Manchester United will have the same problem if they just sit back. That's the big loss with Rashford is, is that counter-attacking threat. Mm. You know, they'll play Martial, they'll play Daniel James. It'll be interesting to see if they play Greenwood rather than matter in terms of more pace on the break because that's the only way you're going to hurt Liverpool. A couple of other points on this game. Alex Sykes writes in and says, Brandon Williams is the talk of the town. He wears a number 53 shirt because, according to Alex Sykes, that's the bus route he used to take home from Old Trafford. Huge, if true. Giving away where his parents live. Risky business. Mm. Uh, Marcus Rashford, meanwhile, has, I read, registered to launch his own range of products. There have also been links that make me wince of him following Jesse Lingard and joining Mino Raiola as a client. Oh, really? Which comes two weeks after Raiola said Manchester United could make any player bad. So it seems an odd, yeah. very odd move. Rashford, just on this topic, has filed papers with the government's intellectual property office he's taken out copyright. Uh, among the products he's registered to release are clothes, jewellery, books, umbrellas, duvet covers, kitchen utensils and toilet roll. Just, mm. you know. I mean, that's the modern footballer, I guess. Hey-ho. Duncan can see Man United getting a point in this game. What do you think, Lindsay? I, I think it's all going to come down to that first goal. I think if United can get in front then they can potentially grind out a draw. I think I think Liverpool will get an, a goal in this match. Um, and if Liverpool score first, um, especially if they score early in the first half, um, I can see them I can see them winning this 3-1. Running away with it. All right. Yeah. Daniel. I think home win. I think Liverpool will win 2-0 and as I say with the with the selection in the FA Cup, I think Manchester United fans, maybe the Manchester United manager are kind of half resigned to that anyway. Well, loads more to come in the show. We're going to be touching on some of the big stories from around the continent, following up on one or two things that we mentioned in Tuesday's European edition. Also, many more of your tweets, including back to basics, my correction on Zlatan. First, though, Paddy Power. Well, fancy seeing you here, listeners. Yes, this is producer Ben. I'm on the line with Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee. Let's talk about the big games this weekend. Man U are the only team to take Premier League points off Liverpool this season. Can they do it again when the two sides meet at Anfield? Hmm, interesting. At this stage of the season, I couldn't say with any confidence that any side could take points off Liverpool, let alone this Man United team. But what do the numbers say? Uh, they echo that. Liverpool are 4-11, to odds on to win this one. The draw 7-2 and United are an enormous 13-2 to to get all three points at Anfield. If you do want to bet United simply not losing this game, you can do that. That's called the double chance and the odds of that happening are 15-8. to And how about this for Moneyback Special? Paddy Power are doing Moneyback as a free bet on all markets if Mohamed Salah scores against Man United, which he is odds on to do. TNCs apply. Elsewhere, Brighton, as we've been saying, haven't beaten Villa since 1980. Is it going to happen on Saturday? Well, this is a really interesting one, isn't it? It's incredible what narrative can do. In my head, Brighton and Villa are worlds apart, having markedly different seasons. And yet I looked at the table and there's just three points separating the two teams. That said, we do make Brighton odds-on favourites to win against Villa uh, for the first time in however many years that is. It's 8-13 to 13 they do so. Villa are 7-2 to two to get the three points. The draw here is 16-5. to five. 
And finally, we've been going on about Mike Dean's big day. How many cars will he dish out at the Emirates? <laughs> a big day for a colossus of Premier League football. Well, missing when he's gone, I suspect he'll genuinely be looked back on as a refereeing legend, although that could be more for his meme ability than refing ability. Mike Dean is a showman, of course, and I wonder if he might produce a bit of a flourish for us here. It's two to one. He dishes out five or more cards to really mark the special occasion. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply and when the fun stops, stop. Back to basics says... Jimbo, can you correct your assertion that Zlatan is the first player to score in four different decades? Yeah, I'm sorry about that, back to basics. I got a little overexcited. I did. I, I think I phrased it as a question, but clearly he wasn't. As back to basics uh, says, there are quite a few, to be honest. The first, I reckon, must be Billy Meredith, who was the oldest player to play for Man City and also holds the same record for Man United. Others include, again, this is back to basics, Stanley Matthews, Yari Lippmannen, and of course, Kazumuro, who's just signed a new deal with Yokohama. So mm. he's probably into like five decades by now. Feels like cheating now, doesn't mm. it? 53 yeah. years old. A lot of the stories we were talking about on Tuesday's excellent European roundup mm-hmm. with uh, Rafa, Jules, Alvaro and James Horncastle. Uh, we were... Uh, waxing lyrical about Monaco's terrific performance against Paris Saint-Germain at the weekend when they drew 3-3 away in Paris. Two teams met again on Wednesday. This time Monaco didn't go so well for the Monagas. A eh, Daniel? No, 4-1. 4-1 mm. to PSG. In Spain, Ernesto Valverde had just walked when we did uh, Tuesday's show. The job has gone to Kike Setien. Uh, Matthias Williams saying, what would be the English equivalent of Setien taking over at Barcelona? Chris Wilder at Man City? Yeah, asked Matthias. I, I, was trying to, I saw that tweet. I was trying to think. I don't think that were. I, I don't think there's a, an obvious example in that the club, our clubs of that ilk of Betis, maybe a Southampton or they're normally managed by... Maybe so a Ralph Hasenhart like taking over at Liverpool. Would that work? Yeah, yeah. Or when Poch left. Yeah, maybe Poch Southampton, but then he went to Spurs, who are not quite as big. Right. So I don't think there's a direct example with a domestic. If Poch coach. had gone straight to United, United or Chelsea. Yeah. Right. I mean, Setien, who had tremendous success at Las Palmas, got into 11th, which is their best finish for 40 years. Uh, then at Betis. Took them to sixth, gotten them to Europa League, had wins over Barcelona, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid. More recently, he's been walking around his hometown surrounded by cows, mm. in his own words. That word. felt like one of those that was just a throwaway line that then suddenly became everyone's headline, well, yeah. didn't it? Yeah. I don't think I've seen <laughs> the word cow written out so, ma- so His much. brother said, they are my cows. Uh, was it his brother or his son? Oh, so yeah, his brother. There is yeah. brother's cows. Are there? You could say yeah. the medium milked that one. He's utterly, etc. and so on. Right. <laughs> Uh, good. Anyway, but the, so that's who's now in charge of Barcelona and will be guiding them through their next Copa del Rey fixture in which they go to Ibiza, Union Deportivo Ibiza. Mm. Real Madrid, meanwhile, in the Copa del Rey have drawn, Daniel? Unionistas. Right. We talked about them on Tuesday. You wrote a lovely okay. piece about them. Yeah, a, a while back for the for the BBC, actually, about people might remember Universis de Salamanca, who oh, were yeah. the original club. Uh, who folded in 2012, 13, I think. Uh, and the president tried to set up his own club and the fans said, no, we, we're sick of you, we're going to set up our own. And it's interesting in a UK perspective because 
two of the guys who are very key to setting up the club are both English guys. One lives in Spain and his brother lives in Bath and still goes over six or seven times a year to watch matches. And if you go to the ground, there's a banner for Bath City Boat Trips, which is what this guy, Tony, runs. It's a really, really nice story of a fan-owned club. They, they've gained two promotions now, so they're in the third tier mm. and knocked out Deportivo in the last round, which was the big story. And then, as you say, drew Real Madrid at home. Brilliant. I'm hoping to go for, to the game. The, oh, nice. the, they were so lovely, Tony and this guy, Peter. They've offered me free accommodation and all wow. sorts to go over and witness the spectacle. Brilliant. Salamanca, a lovely, lovely place Very to go. Very nice Are they place. home or away? Home. Brilliant. All right. In other cup news, Coppa Italia midweek saw Piontek scoring and assisting as Milan, without Zlatan this time, got another win. This time it was 3-0 over Spal. Uh, Juve, meanwhile, rested Cristiano Ronaldo and Higuain and Dybala enjoyed themselves in his absence. That was they did incredible. Like a, they did three one-twos. Like yeah. a reboot of the Brolin Darlene. Uh, although, I, I mean, the one, uh, the, the Cassano Totti would be the example I would go with for, for Roma. I was a little bit feeling that among the many people admiring their one-twos were the Udinese defence, who essentially just stood there <laughs> like training cones as they kind of... Because some of the one-twoing was, wasn't exactly accurate. By the third one, they were definitely just Yeah, Higuain just basically watching. booted it and then Dybala had to stop, go back and pick up the ball and then... <laughs> Do another one-two, air quotes. All right. Anyway, but uh, Juve through to the, in the quarterfinals. Four-nil, uh, their win there. and uh, Inter, Mr Lukaku again. Yeah, two goals this time. So that's third brace in four games now. I think it's 13 in 13 for yeah, Lukaku. And 18 in 25 in all competitions this season, which is... Oh. He's um, level with Ronaldo, isn't he? Yeah, goal. more goals than Messi this season. It should be thought of <laughs> that. Brilliant. But so is Danny Ying, so never mind. Mm. Anyway... <laughs> Cup news. Uh, oh, GSS says, this was a big bit of news, should Liverpool sign any big attacking players in the summer now that AFCON is next January? Yeah. So this is the Cup of Nations, which they'd move to the summer to avoid clashing with all the big league competitions. What it's, it's now gone back again. Why? Yeah, they've, of... they've realised it's, it's quite hot in Cameroon in the summer. Right. And Cameroon have said, there's no way we can host this and we'd rather tell you now than tell you much nearer the time. And yeah, it's going to move to January 2021, which, right. as you say, means Aubameyang, Salah, Mane, etc. We'll, we'll miss, I think, six Premier League matches. Wow. Handy for all the people who forgot that it moved to the summer because the last the last Afcon they're like, well, we're we going to lose all these players, and I was like, no, that, no, no, don't worry about it, yeah, right. But right. going back to Liverpool, yeah, I mean, possibly they'll have spotted that and they will yeah. have prepared. I mean, they'll be on get that. Danny Ings back. Yeah, excellent. All right, well, uh, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Totally Football Show. Remember, our weekend roundup will be available first thing Monday morning which is very exciting. So as soon as you wake up on Monday, Totally Football Show will be there ready with all our reaction to the weekend's action. Many thanks for being with us today, Lindsay. Thank you. Daniel. Thank you. And Duncan. Thank you. Have yourselves a terrific weekend and we'll catch up with you after. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter and make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. Join Ruby Walsh, Paddy Power, Tom Nugent and a whole host of great guests each week on Paddy Power's new racing podcast, From the Horse's Mouth. Tune in for analysis, interviews and a bit of crack from the greatest trio since the Bee Gees. Ha, 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 ha. 
From the horse's mouth. From the horse's mouth. Huh? Huh? Yeah. Muddy Knees Media.